The scripture reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 35 through 45. It can be found on page 837 in the Black Bibles. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks Luke. Appreciate that. You know, just thinking about the song um, that we were just listening to being played, um, you know, this idea of the blessed assurance that God offers to us. This is my song, this is my story, praising him all the day long. You know, this, the text we're reading this morning from the Gospel of Mark, what we're seeing is Jesus breaking in in such a powerful way that it, it kind of provokes that sort of response. That what Jesus is doing in his kingdom, rightly seen, accurately understood, sort of brings in us this incredible hope and joy, a celebration really, um, that, that each of us gets access to because of Jesus' power breaking in. So let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll look here at the Gospel of Mark, the last half of Gospel of Mark. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we do give you thanks for your word and for the assurance of your grace that you offer to us, for the stories of the Gospel of what Jesus has done. Lord, we pray this morning that you would take these things, use them to convince us again of your faithfulness and mercy and the power of your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, Clay's been, we've been in this series in the Gospel of Mark, and um, the text we just read, verses 35 to 45, I asked Clay earlier in the week, I was like, can I just go ahead and attach verses 21 through 45, because although we can't talk about every single element, it's actually one big narrative that's trying to communicate this theme right here. Are you ready? Jesus is powerful. That's what all these stories are about. It is about the power of who Jesus is breaking into a world in places where you think it shouldn't be able to or might not care about and completely transforming it to give us a foretaste of what happens when Jesus is finally ruling. The reason there are miracles in the New Testament, it's not a magic show. It's not a competition that Jesus is going on to prove himself against all the other prophets. The reason that miracles take place and the reason these sort of fantastic stories um, are here for us is so that we can see what happens when God's will fully reigns in all the different areas of our existence. That when he's in control, when he's ruling, when, when he is truly the king, that the result is life and beauty and hope because he is so powerful. Now, last Thursday, you got to experience some power. Now, it rained. I don't know if you saw that, but there was a lot of rain this past week, right? It was unbelievable how much rain came down. Rain is this gentle, beautiful little thing that falls from the sky. 
and waters our plants and our flowers and all those things. And yet, overwhelmingly, when it falls as it did on Thursday, it begins to destroy. Uh, silver was covered in water. The power was out here at Christ the King. Our preschool kids were here um, when the power was out. I couldn't make it in. People couldn't leave, like all because of water, all because of this, these floodwaters. And, you know, when you're in a flood, you can't divert the path. You got to get out of it or get destroyed. Those are your options. You can get out of it or you can drown. You know, it, it doesn't really negotiate with you. It has power. You know, Leslie Peacock sent an email to the women in this church. By the way, if you're a member especially and you don't get these emails, email Leslie, ask her to add you to this list. But it was an email that was meant to encourage us in thinking about um, the power of what God offers us, even in the face of struggles and disasters like what we experienced on Thursday. Leslie writes, If you're like me, you may still feel the weight of the storm yesterday. The incessant rain and flooding took us all by surprise. And whether you were in your car or at home or at work or stuck somewhere in the city, I think we all felt vulnerable and helpless much of the day. I heard some refer to it as Harvey 2.0, but I think the difference for many of us is that we were alone, either in a car with a child trying to get home or trying to get out and see loved ones as I watched Silver Road turn into a river and countless cars become engulfed by the rising waters. I couldn't help but feel stuck. There was nothing I could do and nowhere I could go. There's a sense that what Leslie's communicating there is a sense of what it's like to be powerless. Have you experienced powerlessness? You know, all of us have, no matter, where, no matter your station in life, no matter what you know, resources you might have. Last week, at some point, the flood could hit your house too. It didn't everybody's, thankfully, but it creeps up. Like eventually, the floods can overtake anyone because they have power. And what Jesus does is comes into situations and overwhelms them with his power and brings about his kingdom, and the result is life. For people who, not dealing with floods in this, but with the things that they're facing that make them feel powerless, Jesus comes in and brings his power and it transforms. And so what we're going to talk about this morning, just these three ideas, is our situation or our plight, which I'll get more into. Secondly, the purpose Jesus has for coming as he did, beginning his ministry, which we'll discuss. And then third, the path he invites us to take, okay? So if you need, you know, our, you know, our plight, okay? His promises and our path if you need peace or whatever. But he's leading us down this way. He's coming into our world to, to deal with something that we all have to face. And what that thing is, we see exemplified in the stories from verses 21 through 45. Jesus has started his ministry. He begins preaching about the kingdom of God. And the moment he does, all that is opposed to his kingdom begins to flare up. And it's not an understatement. In verses 23 and 32, there's a demon-possessed person who shakes violently. We don't see that a lot here at Christ the King, but this still happens even today in our world, and it most certainly was happening in this place, and we even read the demons knew who Jesus was. So there they are. Jesus is present, and these demons are responding, and they're afraid of him. Jesus is pulled by Andrew and Peter into their house. Peter's mother-in-law is lying there. She's so ill she can't go to the synagogue with them. And what does Jesus do? He heals her. She immediately gets up and begins to serve. And then we have the leper who's suffering from the ravages of this disease. And what it does is it kills all your nerve endings. And then you get infections and other illnesses. And you're cast out from the community. You know, as if the disease isn't bad enough, you are in exile. What does Jesus do to all these situations? He brings his kingdom to bear 
It casts demons out. It heals the sick and the ill. It restores the leper. It makes things as they are meant to be. The presence of sin defaces all that it touches. And here's the bad news. All of you and me included are infected by this thing we call sin. All of us are. For a brief definition, kind of think about sin a little bit. It's, a, it's essentially the breaking of shalom. Cornelius Plantinga calls it vandalism of shalom. It is the destruction of what God has made to be good and making it otherwise. So a man's not meant to be possessed by a demon, and he is. It's destructive. A woman's not meant to be so ill that she can't serve her family like she wanted to do. It's destructive. Um, gee, this man has leprosy. He's cast out from his community. He can't go to work. He can't go to church. He can't be around the people he loves. It's not meant to be that way. What does Jesus do to all those things? You see, he undoes them. He restores shalom. He makes things as they were meant to be. Shalom is that space, that place that God has created for us to be that is good. It's what he has for us. It's kind of what Jesus talks about when he says, you know, I wouldn't tell you if this wasn't true, but I have a house with many rooms and my father's preparing them for you. I have something wonderful for you. It will be as it's meant to be. Now I want to mention to you some ideas as you think about your own sin in your life and I'm going to do that by telling you about mine just so you don't think I feel like I'm immune to it let me tell you some places where I break shalom and my family and others can verify this is the case there are times my wife will say to me you're being snarky rather than being compassionate which would bring shalom I'm going a different route the shalom bringing response would be for me to be compassionate when I'm quick-tempered with my children What would bring shalom is for me to be extra patient. I shouldn't be surprised that they're not as good at life as I am, right? I should be patient. Why do I act like I'm so surprised? I love them. They're in process. When I'm I'm irritated at work and I'm like, I've already told you this 10 times. Why am I telling you again? What if I expressed shalom and was empathetic and kind and thought just for a moment that people might have something going on in their life that distracts them from the task I mentioned yesterday, right? We're meant to bring shalom, peace, restoration, goodness, grace into the spaces that God has called us to live and exist. Or how about this? When I appear innocent in my own mind and the cashier's just taking too long and I'm getting impatient. Or, and this actually happened to me this week. This is a real life application. A police officer was directing traffic and he skipped me. Can you believe it? And I was frustrated. I didn't do anything. He's a police officer. But I was like, huh, how could that happen? Because life is not as it's meant to be. What if he just smiled and said, well, okay, God is good. We're meant to be bringers of shalom. How do you respond to the reality when someone gets in your way or your idea of what you think is supposed to be or supposed to happen? God's response is to love his enemies. God's response is to send his son. God takes broken shalom spaces and makes them places of shalom by restoring them and fixing them and making them new. That's what all of these stories are about. Whether it's a demon-possessed man or people who don't know how to take care of their family, which you see in this, or it's Peter and Andrew not know, you know, hey, Jesus, why don't you just come in our house for a second? Oh, look, our mom's sick. Like, you know, there's all these things that are going on, and Jesus is responding graciously and bringing shalom to bear. What he's doing is he's revealing the power of his kingdom. That Jesus has a kingdom that has power for you in this moment to bring grace to your life. The kind of power that can heal the sick and heal the leper and cast out demons, which is like so hard for us to understand and even get our heads around. Half of us in this room right now are thinking, well, that's not even real. 
And yet Jesus has power over those things. The power, there are things that the people look to in this text to, for power, but it's powerless. Consider them. There's a the powerlessness of the teachers and the law. They can't heal the man who has leprosy. All they can do is follow the commandments or follow the law, which says he has to be cast out, which kind of makes sense because leprosy is really contagious. At least it was because they didn't realize the whole fluids thing. So it's really contagious. He has to live outside the community, but that's really all they have for him. And they'll leave food out there and stuff, but they're powerless to do much else. There's powerlessness in the religious traditions. There, you know, the healing of Peter's mother-in-law and the healing of the others that take place in this text as you read it. When did it happen? After dark. Why? Because if they did it during the Sabbath, they'd be breaking the Sabbath and then God might be mad at them. Their traditions are leading them astray. That's not how God works. Not to mention modern science and medicine and all the other ways and things that they had to look to to try to deal with the pain in their lives. It wasn't working. It's why when Jesus speaks, they go, this guy speaks with authority. When he speaks, we are, and this is how the text talks about it, amazed and alarmed. Jesus is amazing because he can do these things. Ooh, how is he going to use his power though? Is it for me or against me? They're amazed and they're alarmed. And what Jesus comes to do is, say, is to say, my kingdom is for you. This is a thematic verse Clay will get to in Mark chapter 10. And it, it comes up over and over and over again. But Mark chapter 10 verse 45 says that the son of man came to serve, not to be served, and to give himself as a ransom for many. Get your head around that. The God of heaven and earth sends his son to be among us so that he can serve us. And in serving us, he brings about his kingdom and he's inviting us to jump on board with the way his kingdom works that we might see his kingdom more and more realized in our own lives through service. God's inviting us to participate in what Jesus is doing. So the situation is, is that these people, like us, are being impacted by the realities of sin. Just a little side note here. This man who's demon-possessed is possessed in church. And whatever it is they're preaching doesn't even offend him enough for him to leave. Please know, like at our church, we, we want to make Jesus absolutely central in all things. We care more about Jesus than religion, more about Jesus than anything else. Like he's the main event for us. But they were so confused, at least in this story, where the, the demon is there. It's not bothering him to be there until Jesus shows up. He goes, ooh, now I know who that is. And I can't be around that. And so he shakes violently. The irony is, is they know, the demons know, the people don't. When you think about Jesus' kingdom, do you know who he is? Like, what is it like to be part of Jesus' kingdom? Gandhi said this, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians, your, you Christians, or your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Nietzsche said this, is man merely a mistake of God's, or God merely a mistake of man? And then, of course, Mark Twain in his colorful language. The Bible has noble poetry in it and some good morals and a wealth of obscenity and upwards of a thousand lies. Like what is the kingdom of God all about? Our philosophers, our own philosophers in our own country are starving for an answer with authority and Jesus answers with authority. If you really dig into who he is and you read this text from verses 21 to 45, you'll be amazed and alarmed until you realize his power is for you. Jesus has power for you. So, that's our situation. We're broken. I don't have to convince you of that. I know that you know it's true. Jesus offers power. 
and he gives us, and what we, we see his power realized in the purpose of why he comes. Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry here, and his purpose is to come and make his kingdom known, to make the kingdom of God accessible and knowable, tangible experience where people can say, oh, that's what, kingdom, that's what God's kingdom looks like. And you could put it this way, that Jesus comes with conquering power to restore people to wholeness. Jesus comes with conquering power to restore people to wholeness. That's what all of these miracles are about. He's trying to restore people to wholeness spiritually, physically, emotionally, relationally with one another and their God. He comes to bring wholeness. You know, these people had no categories for what Jesus was doing. He had no incantations, no special techniques, no magic incense. He spoke and it happened. His word had power. His word has power. God's word for us, the power of the resurrected Lord, comes to us today and invites us to be part of this kind of kingdom of what we see in these verses. To believe this message of grace for ourselves and our community. Robert Weber put it this way. He's a theologian and author. The exercising of Christ's power over Satan had the effect of restoring to wholeness God's creation that had become demented, twisted, distorted, corrupted by Satan. When Jesus cast out demons, healed the blind, made the lame walk, restored health, and raised the dead, he demonstrated that his purpose was to restore and to renew and to recreate the universe. This is why as Christians we talk about ourselves as being reborn. We're new creations. The old has gone. The new has come. We're reborn into this new thing that Jesus is inviting us to. Baptism is a symbol of that new creation. It is ours by faith. God does not want us to live under the lie of being defined by sin. Rather, he wants us to live under the promise of being defined by baptism. We have been baptized into Christ, into his sufferings for the forgiveness of sins. And Jesus comes to orchestrate his people into participating in his kingdom, working together. You know, one of the things I love about our band is they play such beautiful music and they all play the same song at the same time. Now, they're like, don't take this for granted. Can you imagine a song comes up? Daniel says, no, I'm not going to do that song. I've been feeling another song. I'm going to do this song. And then Frank, who's playing guitar, says, I like Daniel's song, and I like that song, but I want to do a different song. And then our drummer, and so on and so forth, and everybody's playing their own song. I don't even know how long I could tolerate that before leaving the room. God calls us to orchestrate, to work together, to bring harmony. And you know who you need to follow in this? Jesus. Not me, Christ. So far as his kingdom invites us into participating in his power. So why does Jesus do this? Why does he bring his kingdom into the lives of these people? He was pretty content up in heaven, right? He comes down not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Why does he do that? I want to read to you starting in verse 40. Jesus cleanses a leper we just read about earlier. But verses 40 and 41, and a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling and said to him, side note here, Jesus is in a place where a leper can approach him, okay? He's outside If you will, you can make me clean, the leper says. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched the leper and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Do you realize how incredible this is? This man might not have been touched for years outside of other lepers in the community. 
And it's possible there weren't very, like, there possible there weren't a ton around him. Completely untouchable. And Jesus walks over and he touches him and says, this is, there's a new beginning here. You are touchable. I will make you clean. And Jesus makes him clean. Why does Jesus do this? Moved with pity. We hear pity, it's, it sounds condescending. The word is more like moved with deep emotion of love for this man. Empathy, compassion, mercy. Knowing he has the power to fix this and redeem him. He's moved with it. It's similar to what you read um, throughout the scriptures where you read about God being moved by the entreaty of his people. Jesus is moved by this man's desire to be healed and his ability to give it. And so he heals him. He offers him this newness. Not because of anything good he had done, but because he requested it. When Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, he doesn't do it for any other reason except to enable that mother-in-law to be who she was made to be, which was the mom who wanted to take care of the house. When he he heals the man who's possessed by a demon, he heals him so he can be restored and have his faculties back because he's meant for that. Now, contextually, just to think about this for a minute because I'm going to wrap up here, but... um, Jesus didn't just heal the leper and say, okay, good, head on your own merry little way. He actually sends him back to the priest and says, go present yourself to the priest and tell them what's been done according to the law. Because in the Older Testament, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it talks about certain practices you have to do if you're a leper to save the community. You go back to the priest, you're declared clean, you're welcome back into the community. So what does Jesus do? Does he break the law? No, he fulfills the law. He sends the man to the priest to present himself so they can say, yep, praise God. You're clean. Welcome home. We're so glad you're here. Now this is the part where the leopard goes on his own. Because Jesus says, I want you to keep it to yourself. And it's interesting because this this boggles the mind of us finite beings. But God wants us to participate in what he's doing. And Jesus wants this man to participate in what he's doing. He says, look, I'm going to heal you. Do not go tell anyone about this. It's not time yet. And the guy's like, yeah, man, sure, whatever you say. He goes, he's like, great, I'm healed. Jesus did it. It was nuts. Like, wow, you got to see this. And what happens to Jesus? The exile goes into the community and does exactly what Jesus tells him not to do. And what happens to Jesus? Jesus becomes the exile. He's exiled. He has to go into the outer realms to finish his ministry until another point because it's just, he's just made too big of a fuss. The whole like transforming the world thing has taken you know, Galilee by storm or whatever and they can't handle it. You know, as, as disciples of Jesus, there are, there are areas where it's easy for us to believe, yes, I want to follow God in this area. I trust him in this area. Yes, please. But then there's these other areas where we're kind of like, I don't really want to follow him in that area. That area, Like humility, I could take it or leave it, right? You know, offering forgiveness to somebody who doesn't deserve it, I could take it or leave it. Like they don't want it anyway. Why do I got to give it to them? I'm just going to remain mad at them. Like whatever it is. Like we want to follow God in certain ways and maybe not other ways because we believe, we don't believe that his way has ultimate power for us. God's ways do have ultimate power. That's why this vision is so compelling. Jesus' way leads to lepers being healed, blind being able to see, mother-in-laws who can't serve being able to be healed and raised, people who are possessed being freed from even the spiritual darkness of whatever that is. That's, That's where God's way leads. And any other ways lead to something else. I want to tell you it's like an allegory. This isn't true for the young ones around us. It's just a story. But there was a man 
He was walking along. He wasn't paying attention. He was texting or something, and he fell into a pit. Okay? He falls into a pit. He can't crawl out of the pit, and in an Indiana Jones kind of moment, realizes that he has some friends down there with him, and they're snakes. And he looks at the snakes, and, he, and they're dangerous snakes. They're poisonous snakes, but there are friends who walk by. And this one friend walks by, and he's an animist, and he looks at him and says, hey, the snake runs away because he's afraid also. Just run from him. Just keep running from him. That, that's the way forward. Just like become one with the animal. That'll work for you. Confucianist walks up and says, hey, well, now you've learned. Don't text and walk. You know, don't text and walk or fall in a pit. Aren't you glad you learned that? And carries on his own merry little way. The Buddhist looks down and says, look, you need to change your desires. Quit trying to run from the snake. Be the snake. Be the snake. Like, just think your way out of this. The politician says, I will help you, but what political party are you? Just to clarify before I help you get out of this thing. And the New Age guru says, look within yourself. You can kind of lift yourself out. If you think yourself out of it, if you just kind of think your way through it, you're going to come up with something great. And uh, let me know how that, that works out for you because, you know, it's your reality and your truth and you can figure it out. Then Jesus comes along. The approach to Christianity when we find ourselves in this pit is nothing short of this. Jesus gets in the pit he lifts us out of the pit so we can crawl out, and then he is bitten for our sakes. He becomes the exile for our sakes. He becomes the one who dies on the cross for our sakes so that we can live. Now, what's amazing is that he's so incredible that he actually conquers even death, conquers even the snakes, conquers even the enemy that would destroy us. He defeats it and put it in, puts it in his place. The shalom breakers are unsettled and he makes all things new. That's why Jesus comes. That's why these stories are here. So you and I can look at this and say, if this is what Jesus is doing, what might he be able to do in my life? What might he be able to do in the lives of those that I love and care about when they're sick and when they're ill? See, what Jesus promises us is that one day when he returns, all things will be made new. We read in Revelation, the last chapter of the Bible, that he will wipe every tear away, that God will reconcile all things to himself. Maybe not in this life, but in the one to come. And the evidence and the proof of it is that the resurrection happened. Jesus rises, appears more than 500, and defeats death finally and totally. Okay, let me wrap this up because I know you want to go to lunch sometime. Two ideas just to kind of end it. Um, our path. What's our path forward? Okay, our plight. We're covered in sin. Jesus makes promises us to his kingdom that he can defeat sin and death. What's the path forward? Just two ideas. Terrain and direction. Terrain and direction. This week, if you were near water, you thought about your terrain and your direction as you came upon that high water. You thought about it. And you thought to yourself, I know the terrain. I know it's safe and I'm going to go for it. And some people made that choice this week and they died. Hopefully you did the whole turn around, don't drown thing. I heard that, I don't know how many times I've heard that this week, right? The reason people drive into the water is because they think they know the terrain. And because they think they know the terrain, they believe that they will go this direction if they do this thing, okay? And what happens is, as they go into water, it's deeper than they thought. There's something they don't expect. It's not what it appeared to be. And they begin to drift and they fall over into a bayou or they fall over into a ditch. They fall over into something they would never go into intentionally, but they thought this way was safe because they knew the terrain. Sin is exactly like this. It is exactly like this. We think that certain sins, we know how to get through this. We'll make our way through it. And, and then eventually we'll get to the other side. But what sin does is it's a liar. 
It's a deceiver. And actually what happens is, is once you get out there, you find yourself in a place where you would never otherwise go. Because that's what sin does, whether it's selfishness or greed or pride or bitterness or hatred or whatever it is. Jesus says, you want to know the way of my kingdom? Mark chapter 10, verse 45, the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served, and to give himself as a ransom for many. And in doing that, the result are these things, life, hope, beauty, amazement, because God is actually at work in and around us. You want to know the direction to go to find spiritual health? You want to grow spiritually? Here it is. You see it in the woman who's healed. As soon as she's healed, what does she get up and do? She serves. God is calling us to hack into figuring out how to serve one another in such a way it makes the kingdom more visible. Where can you work that out? Let me mention some ideas. One, if you're a woman or a man, I think everyone in here qualifies for that. I want you to think this week about who are other people you can love only based on how much God has loved you. Because this is the challenge. What we want to do is love people based on how much they deserve it. We want to love them based on how worthy we think they are in the moment for it because of how they've been acting. And what God calls us to do is to love people based on how he has loved us. Mothers and fathers, how can we love our children in a way that communicates we love you because God gave you to me, not because you were obedient or disobedient? Husbands and wives, what can we do this week to love one another well? Jamie can verify it. It's kind of a cheat because I did it on purpose, so I can tell you I did it this morning. That's true, okay? But you'll, she'll tell you next week if I did it, I guess, or not. I said, what are, what's something I can do this week three times that when I do it, you'll know I'm doing it because I love you? She came up with a couple ideas. I said, no, 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 not a laundry list. I just want one, one thing, okay? She said, why don't you cook for me? And I go, what else? Like, what else could I do? Like, what's something else I could do, right? It's difficult to love, but God calls us into it because the result of it is a compelling reality of his kingdom coming to bear on your marriages and your relationships and your friendships and your workplace where resurrection becomes the theme and not the plight of sin. As we come to the table this morning, that's the challenge. Where can you work out loving others as God has loved you because Jesus is doing some awesome stuff in our midst? And as we come to the table, we can ask God to give us strength and hope and faith to believe it and to pursue it. Let's pray together. Father, this morning we do come before you in light of the great promises you've given to us in Jesus Christ. That the one who died rose again from the dead. The one who saw the leper healed him. The one who saw the sick woman in the tent healed her so she could serve. The one who saw the demon possessed freed them from dark spiritual powers so that we might experience shalom. Would you create that desire within us, the reality within us of your work. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen.